Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'm Josh De La Rosa. Now we're almost halfway into this year and it's just before summer hits. It's a great time actually for us to do some reflecting on life. And so we're launching into a new series of messages from a unique book in the Bible. It's the book called Ecclesiastes. And you may have never read that book before. I'm going to tell you uh, a, a good bit about it today. And then this is an eight week series of messages that are walking through the flow of that book. And we're going to call this series Don't Miss This. And Here's why. Uh, neon signs, they are some of the most bright and unusual types of outdoor advertising. They, they draw all of our attention in. They attract our focus. They make, they make places stand out because they point or, or uh, bring our eyes and our focus in towards what they want us to, to see. And so, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the author, and this ancient king named Solomon, he makes a handful of, of observations about life. And then he sort of focuses all of our eyes on a couple of key major conclusions. And so it's sort of like he's saying, hey, everyone, listen up, everyone. Whatever you do in life, don't miss this. And so we're going to spend the next eight weeks looking at his pursuits, his insights, his conclusions. And we're going to learn from his example. A good bit of this book is probably learning from a bad example that he set. Uh, But we can sort of look back in reflection and still draw some important insights from this uh, book of the Bible. And so helping me in this series is going to be some of our pastors and a few other men from uh, different stages of life. And then in our in our very last week, we're going to have a very special guest uh, to help us wrap up this series. And so here we go. Everybody in life is pursuing something. And so when you think about your pursuit in life, the pursuit you've chosen, where do you think that will lead? Uh, some people, and here's some of the the different messages we're going to look at over the next uh, eight weeks. Some people choose the new. Everybody wants that new and shiny and exciting. We're going to look at that idea today as we walk through this message. Uh, next week, we're going to look at how some people choose the pursuit of pleasure. And and so next week, week two of this series, we'll look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter two, where we focus on that. Then in the third week, we're going to look at this idea of try this. Uh, everyone's trying to get us to try out strategies. Everyone's trying to get us to to move towards an approach in life. And so we're going to look at that. Then we're going to have a series or a message called Moving Up. And we're going to talk about this idea of pursuing and advancing and trying to climb uh, ladders in life. And so after that, we're going to look at the idea of no limits. That's one of the uh, the themes that comes up in, in Solomon's uh, conclusions is he, he recognizes that there are actual limits. But the world around us, the culture says, hey, there's no limits. Also, we're going to look at a message about the guarantees of life. We we are sold often on uh, guarantees. If we, we choose to sometimes not buy things unless there's a guarantee. And so uh, we're going to talk about that idea. And then we're going to look at the idea of enjoyment. And we're told, hey, enjoy it. And it's really a, a draw towards all sorts of experiences in life. And so we're going to evaluate that idea. And then finally, really the conclusion Solomon wants us to see is this idea of don't miss this. And so for that final message, I've actually invited my good friend Harold Bullock. He was the pastor of Hope Community Church in Fort Worth, Texas. 
and he's in his mid-70s. He's, he's the one who founded our network of churches, the 17-6 network of churches. And really out of his life and out of his church, church has, has come well over 100 churches and ministries all around the world. Many people trained there at Hope Church and then launched churches and ministries all over the place. And so uh, this whole series is going to sort of set up for that final message where uh, Pastor Harold will come and, and share with us uh, out of his learnings and even from his life in this uh, subject. And so that's what we're going to be covering in this series. Now this book, the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a, it's a unique book in the Bible. Uh, the name of the book is from a Greek word, Ecclesiastes, and uh, which basically means the assembly. This is uh, this is the name which is often most referred to as this this title. And it was originally written by King Solomon. And King Solomon, he's the He's a third king over Israel. David was his father. So this is David's one of David's sons. And in the Hebrew Bible, it's it's referred to by its Hebrew name, Kohelet. And Kohelet basically means leader or speaker of the assembly. Uh, even you could say the preacher. And so King Solomon in this in this book, he has messages that he wants to preach on. He may, he has messages he wants to deliver and share. So I encourage you to sort of begin reading through this book a few times. It's actually an unusual book of, of wisdom uh, literature that's found in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, and it, it has a uh, some poetry in it. It has some instruction in it, and you certainly get to just hear Solomon's processing and his thoughts. And so here's a summary of the book actually from uh, Pastor Chuck Swindoll. He, he, he said this, the content of Ecclesiastes reflects someone looking back on a life that was long in experience but short on lasting rewards. As king, he had the opportunity and resources to sort of pursue the rewards of wisdom, pleasure, and work in and of themselves. Yet the world-weary tone of the writing suggests that late in life he looked back on his folly with regret, pointing us, again, don't miss this, pointing us to a better, simpler life lived in light of God's direction. So I actually want to start by reading from briefly from 1 Kings chapter 3 to sort of set more context for us. Let's let's just read a little from early on, right at the beginning of Solomon's rule. God gave Solomon, this king, the beginning of his rule, this huge opportunity to make a, a request. And so look at 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. It reads, At Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God, God said, Ask, what should I give you? Of, of all that could have been requested by Solomon, Solomon asks for wisdom. He asks for wisdom to be able to lead this vast kingdom and to you know, give justice and to be able to govern this group of, of people that he's responsible for as the king. So, in verse 11, the Bible reads, God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice. I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, so there's more, wait, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. So Solomon, even with all of his wisdom that he was given, because God gave him wisdom, even with all of that wisdom and understanding and insight, Solomon had a divided heart. So inside, he was, he was, you know, 
partly wanting to do God's ways. He wanted to please God, but he also wanted to please himself. He was chasing after some other things. So his heart was divided. He wasn't careful in his obedience. And so we can look back at Solomon's life and his story and we can see, wow, there was this carelessness in his life choices. And because of that, there was a ripple effect further and further out uh, of from his sin, from his carelessness, a ripple effect on his kingdom, on his uh, lineage, uh, and on his own life, and, and even on his own understanding. So as you read through Ecclesiastes, you realize, man, uh, this... This person who's writing it is, um, he's got some messed up thinking. He's, he's really, um, he's really struggling to make sense of it all. And so this book is actually a reflection on his journey from a person who had it all and yet so much just kept slipping through his hands. He couldn't grasp the most important things, it seems. And he kept saying this, hey, don't miss this. And maybe you're wondering, well, why should I listen and trust this man Solomon? Then, well, uh, the reason is because he is uniquely insightful to speak on the subject because he actually did life both ways. He did life wisely at points, and he's left some insights and, and conclusions about that. And then he he did life uh, in a foolish way at many points as well, to its fullest even. And this is not like. Uh, a young and inexperienced person sort of speaking and writing their, or writing their story down, speaking in ideals and platitudes, learned from some sort of a textbook. No, this is from King Solomon speaking from experience, both good experiences, wise experiences, and foolish experiences that we would do well to learn from both sides of that. So, let's read from chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes. It begins this way. It begins, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility. <laughs> Absolute futility, he starts. This is the word hevel in, in the Hebrew. And hevel is a word that shows up over 40 times in his book. He's going to say this idea over and over. Futility. Futility. This is it's sort of like emptiness, meaningless. What's the point? So he keeps... He starts with this idea, and he's going he's gonna to hit it over and over, up to 40 times in this whole book. So he says, absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? So what's the point of, of life? Don't you want to know? I mean, think about this. Maybe you're on a journey right now, and you're trying to wrestle with, what is the point of all of this? And he begins to write, he takes sort of a poetic form here. A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. And so, what we see is people are just constantly, and Solomon makes note, people are coming and coming and coming and going and going, and generation upon generation comes and goes, over and over, but the earth remains forever. He says, what's the point? You know, just think about what he starts with. What is the point? It's it, Everything is so futile. Everyone's just spinning all of this, all of these uh, countless names and faces through generations. There's this cycle. Verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to the place where it rises. So, uh, Generations come and go, well, the sun is on a cycle as well. Everything is on a cycle. The sun never ceases to rise and set. Essentially, time is just sort of marching on. Sunset, new day, 
over and over and over. It's sort of like we say, I can't believe that this year is nearly halfway over. That's one of the points Solomon's making. What's the point of all this? It's just spinning. Time is just spinning by. Then he continues, verse 6. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. So we've got wind cycles, and we can't really understand it all. We can see the effect of the wind, but we cannot predict the cycle of the wind. We can't predict the direction of the wind. Sometimes it goes north, sometimes south. We we don't always understand. And so the wind, here's the thing, it never gets to where it's going. <laughs> it never stops. It never ceases. It never rests. So Solomon makes this point. And then verse 7, All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. And so now we see water cycles. So we've got people cycling. We've got uh, the sun cycling. We've got wind cycling. Now we have water. It's constantly in motion. It cycles. It goes round and round. You think about um, the waves coming in and then flowing back out to the sea or, or um, just the whole water cycle and precipitation and, and uh, or, or how rivers flow into larger bodies of water and rain. And, and, you know, you just think about the water cycles. Well, he's making mention of this as well. Look at verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. Your your eyes never get filled. Your ears, they can always take in more. So in the same way as nature has cycles, we do as well. We're never fully satisfied with what we can see and what we can hear or know. You know, We take things in through our sight, through our ears. We're never really satisfied. Then verse 9, what has, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be, is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. You've probably heard this phrase before. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all been done before. Well, we're after all of the new and shiny objects for insights, aren't we? we uh, they were too in those days. Uh, they wanted the new. <laughs> they wanted the new, whether idea or the new uh, experience or the new object. New and shiny is something we're drawn to. Well, we're after all these things. Solomon states this in verse 10. Can, can one say about anything, look, this is new. He says, it's already existed in the ages before us. Now this can be sort of discouraging. Everything new is only apparently new. You think, oh, I, I, I found this new thing. Well, Solomon's saying, actually, it's, it's already existed in the ages before us. You didn't know about it. It's new to you, but it's not new on the earth. There's really nothing new. He's saying, look, get used to this. Everything new uh, is, is, is actually, it's old to some. And none of it will be remembered. Hmm. Now, a random example that comes to mind is that, is that, there are really only 20 master plots. For those who write stories, there's only 20 types of stories that can be told. How discouraging. You know, if, if, imagine trying to write something new and, and create uh, a story only to find out, oh, someone already wrote that story before you. You spent all your life thinking up this story. Years and years, you write this story, and then someone pulls out a story from 100 years before that actually uh, did well in its time. And you find out, wow, nothing is really new. Now look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of those who came before us 
or who came before. And of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. <laughs> now, so not just, there aren't new ideas, but there's also not a remembrance of those who come up with the ideas. The names, we forget about the names of people. For example, do you know Peter Durand? Probably not. He invented the can <laughs> for food in 1810. Or here's another uh, inventor. Ezra Warner, you know, you know Ezra? No, you probably don't know Ezra. He he invented the can opener in 1858. Well, he's a forgotten inventor. What about Susan Hibbard? What did she invent? She invented the, the feather duster. I mean, I'm thankful for, for Susan. I appreciate the feather duster, uh, 1876, but no one remembers her name. Now, Levi Strauss. Some of us know what he invented. He came up with the blue jeans, 1850s. So we remember his name. You know, there's there's someone we remember, thankfully. What about William Frisbee and Walter Frederick? They together came up with the Frisbee, 1957. I mean, but a lot of people, they, they invent things, and we completely forget about them. We take the invention, we say, thanks for this. I forget about you. You're in the past. Solomon's making that point. There will be also no remembrance, he says, by those who follow them. You know, that's sort of discouraging news, sort of depressing. Now, he then continues in sort of a downer direction, and you need to read it as one, this next section. So we'll read from verse 12 on through verse 17. He reads, I, the teacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. He's saying, it's all hebel. It's all like trying to grasp something that just keeps slipping through our hand. It's, a, it's sort of like trying to grasp the wind, pursuing the wind. You can't grasp it. Then he says in verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Huh. What's crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. There's limitations we find out we have. Then he says in verse 16, I said to myself, See, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. So he turns his attention to knowing. How does life really work? How has God made life to work? He starts taking in God's wisdom, his knowledge, but then he also applies his mind to madness and folly. These are two interesting words. In the Hebrew, these are two uh, words that represent two of five foolish strategies uh, or profiles that show up in the Bible. There's actually five different ways that we can be foolish in life. Five different approaches that we can choose strategies to live out in our lives. And we're actually going to see these come up uh, through this series. So I want to introduce you very quickly to these different characters in the Bible. These are these are ways that we can actually adopt and choose. We tend to actually move or gravitate towards one or maybe two of these. Uh, and so, here's a quick summary of these five foolish characters, these foolish strategies, and how they play out. First, you have the easy way, fool. The person who's always sort of looking for a magic key in life. Uh, this, is a, this tends to be uh, when we struggle with laziness, shortcuts, uh, we don't want to have to work. Uh, we might sleep and sleep and sleep. 
uh, the easy way fool, he comes up a lot in this in the Bible. It's the Hebrew term is kasil. Uh, oftentimes, this is uh, what is referred to when the Bible talks about uh, folly or foolishness. Now, another Hebrew word that can be translated in English as fool is the Hebrew word evil, and it basically is the profile of the adversarial way. There are some people that their uh, native strategy is to be reactive and angry. It has to be their way or they're going to come against you in anger. They they put their foot down. They determine to have their way. And as long as you don't cross them, uh, life is good. But if you cross them, uh, they're going to bite your head off. <laughs> they're adversarial. They're ready for a fight. So that's another fool strategy. Sometimes we just read the Bible and it talks about the fool or folly. And it's actually this word, evil, and it's referring to an adversarial person. Then we have uh, the the sackle, which is another way that we would translate the this another Hebrew word that we would just translate as fool. But the sackle is a pattern of fun. This is the fun way. This is the person who wants to have fun games. They want to play. They want to they want to play the odds. They want to they want to take the risks. They're in for the uh, they're in for the experiences, the the thrills, the highs, and they don't think about the consequences. So this is a person who tends to chase blind desires and often pays a price along with the people around them. Pay the price. Another type of foolish strategy is uh, known as the halal fool, which is uh, the halal basically, again, it just translates in English as, as fool, but in Hebrew, the word halal, it has to do with praise and glory. So this is the glory way. This is the person that wants to get uh, the spotlight. They need to be on the stage, center spotlight. They need to have the leading role, and they want all the attention. They want to be important right now. And they don't want to wait, so they push themselves ahead. And this can be a very damaging uh, strategy uh, to organizations, to family life. Uh, this type of person doesn't play well with others uh, because they need to be the one given all of the praise and all of the attention. Now, the last fool that shows up in the Bible is called Nabal. And Nabal is the predatory way. Uh, this is where it's a person who, who is cruel in their strategies. He's cruel in their approaches. It's, it's not uh, win-win. It's uh, win-lose. This person wants to win, and they want others to lose. And so they're predatory in their patterns. Now, these five foolish strategies uh, all show up. In uh, some of the Old Testament books of the Bible, you see profiles, you see descriptions, you see references to these uh, in the original language. Well, when Solomon here, he talks about, in back, just backing up verse 17, he says, I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know knowledge, madness and folly. These two terms, madness and folly, are tied to two of those fools. Madness is this whole law. Uh, the one who exalts himself and wants all the praise. They need to be important now. And then the other one, folly, is uh, the sackle, the fool who who is just chasing their desires. And so he tried these things out. And look at what he says. I learned that this two, meaning these approaches, these two of the two of those five foolish approaches, this two is a pursuit of the wind. Basically, my life didn't come together. <laughs> I tried to pursue these types of folly and it didn't bring me uh, more purpose and meaning. Verse 18. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. He's saying the more I take in, uh, the more I know, the more I understand, the more grieved I am. As my knowledge increases, 
the more my grief in- increases. <laughs> oh, brother, I mean, this is a sort of a depressing first chapter. So it's off to a strange start, and that's what we're going to look at. I mean, I just wanted to really talk about this first chapter. I want you to get the feel for uh, Solomon's wanderings through life, and just to see just how messed up we can get if we just choose to do things our own way. Because he certainly ventured off the path of what God wanted, and then he found himself extremely confused. He found himself extremely uh, 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 wobbly in life. He wasn't stable in a lot of ways. So, that's just the first chapter. Uh, here's some initial takeaways, though, because we can learn a lot from chapter 1. First thing is this. Life moves along in cycles. Now, the world is spinning on and on and on. Generations come and go. We know this to be true. There's sun cycles, wind cycles, water cycles, grief cycles, desires cycle within us, history cycles. Uh, history repeats itself. Humanity just goes on and cycles on. So that's one thing. Life moves along in cycles. Maybe right now you're trying to make sense of them, some, uh, some of life. Well, it's moving along in cycles. Uh, that actually has helped me to understand I can trust the Lord that things have happened before. He can stabilize because things are moving in cycles. And there's, so I, can, I don't have to freak out about uh, this, this reality in life. One of the other takeaways from this, the mundane cycles of life feel pointless. In the middle of the, the cycles, in the middle of the mundane, you and I, we can miss small things with great meaning. You see, the cycles can cause us to sort of check out of, of important things and just sort of put life either on cruise control and just just shift it into cruise control or or we can choose to run towards any number of out-of-bounds activities. And so depending on the course we're running and the pursuits we set out towards, we can really miss out on what God really wants. And so uh, don't allow the mundane cycles of life uh, to cause you to move in those wrong directions, those harmful directions. We need to understand, because there are cycles, sometimes we can think, well, this is no point. So then nothing really matters. And so some people just check out and they go off the rails. Finally, none of us can break out of the cycles. None of us are in control of the cycles. We're not able to operate and pull the strings. We're, we're, not, we're not above it all, someone else is. And so this is a major part of the challenge. Since we're not the one at the controls, we're not, you know, overseeing all of life. Uh, we'd like to believe that we have the power to do that. We would love to believe that we have the controls and that we're able to, to, to shift the cycles of life towards our favor. But, but people since Solomon actually have been trying to do that. They've been trying to sort of take control of their own destiny only to be disappointed over and over when they discovered, they discovered, ma'am, I have limits. And again and again, we find this out. So, here's something I want you to remember. It's pointless to go through life without moments of reflection. And maybe this is the season that you're currently in right now. And some of you might be in your 40s right now. And you're, you're just trying hard to keep the car on the road. Life is bumpy in, in, in our 40s. I'm in my 40s. And sort of, you could just be scratching your head. You're, your dreams just keep slipping out of grasp. He says, it's like pursuing the wind. It's like, this seems so futile. It seems so, uh, it seems so meaningless. I can't grasp these things I really want. Well, if you're in your 40s, uh, I hope that this series will help you do some reflecting and refocusing at this stage in your life. Now, some of you are, are, are older than that. Some of you are actually in 
or nearing retirement. And you're, you're one who has seen the cycles play out more than any of us. You've lived long enough to see people come, see people go. Uh, you, you've, you've seen these ideas appear on the scene and then be gone. You can actually truly say, yeah, there's really nothing new under the sun. Maybe you've actually used that phrase before. Well, you know, your role in our church and your role in our society is crucial right now. You can play a stabilizing role in the lives of the younger people around you. You can pray for them. You can actually come alongside them and help people to refocus in the midst of a of the craziness that you have maybe walked through. When you were their age, you learned some things, and now you can come alongside some people who are younger than you, and you can encourage them to focus and to reflect and to evaluate the course that they're on, the pursuits that they're chasing after. Now, some of you are much younger, and you're just starting out in life. And, and when you're just getting started, a message series on reflection seems sort of out of place. You're like, I'll reflect after a decade. I'll reflect after a few years. Here's the thing. I hope I hope you'll take the only true shortcut in life. It's called teachability. You know, we, we go looking for magic keys and shortcuts, and we end up, or we have, we go maybe chasing after our desires, and we might off-road and just head uh, off course from what God would want, and we pay a real price. And many would say they live with a ton of regret for those choices. But I hope you, for those of you who are younger, will take the only true shortcut in life, teachability. You know, you can actually learn from Solomon's insights, because he's got some good insights, but he also has some Major, major failures. You can learn from those failures and steer around them. Uh, you can be teachable. Also, if you'll just ask people further down the road uh, from you for some time, get to know them, have a meal, have a coffee, you can you can choose teachability and you can steer around some of the pitfalls in life, some of the major uh, cliffs. You can just you can steer around and away from those. Uh, you can even avoid some of the pains. That the rest of us have faced. Not escape them, but maybe we can help you avoid some. And so I, I hope you'll do that if you're in your younger years. I hope you'll uh, grow teachable and choose uh, to learn. For all of us, though, at all stages of life, there are, there are two major pursuits in life. There's my way, and then there's God's way. And we're constantly trying to wrestle between our way and God's way. This is a constant fight. Uh, so I want to encourage you to trust God as you consider making him boss. If he's truly in control, then don't leave him out. Now, if you were raised in the church or had some occasional church experience, it's likely you, you've heard the story. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and that's true. That is true. And so naturally, when people consider asking, you know, how do I do life God's way? They start going to church, and they ask Jesus to save them from their sin. And, and we do all have that very real need. And that's the starting point, is to acknowledge Jesus died for our sin, to uh, repent of going our own way and to turn to him and uh, invite him to come into our life. But Jesus, beyond just saying, hey, I want to be the one who saves you, he invites us to follow him as Lord. Romans 10.9 reads, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so, have you ever done that before? Many of you would say, you know, I believe in Jesus, I believe he is who he said he is, and I believe he died on the cross for our sin. But maybe some of you would say, you know, I've never really acknowledged him as my Lord. I've never made him the boss of my life. Lordship means that he is the one in charge of you. It means you're surrendering to Jesus' uh, control. You're, you're surrendering control to him, and you're saying, Jesus, my life 
is is yours. I'm going with you. I'm following you. I'm going your way, your direction. You're the boss. And then from there, we start spending time getting to know him. Through the Bible, we start getting to know God's word. Uh, we spend regular time with him in prayer. And he gives us the direction we need. So that's the first thing I want to encourage all of us to consider. Trust God as you consider making him boss. Maybe you've done that before. And I want to encourage you to really uh, yield again to the Lordship of Christ. Second, build a pattern of learning with and from God's people. Church is, is this weekly look. It's where we, it's, it's where we look to God, but we do this in a group. We come together. This becomes a, a weekly pattern of a group of people refocusing together and reflecting together. It's an important rhythm to work into our lives, work into our schedules. And over time, as people get to know the real you, uh, you start connecting, maybe sharing even the real you. You take off the mask that you've been wearing and you allow others to, to know you and to be open to hearing about their story and, and you know, open up about your story. Now, this can be a very enriching gathering. This type of gathering, the church gathering and groups, uh, where people share life together and discuss the ways that we're trying to obey and follow Jesus. That is so important. So finally, uh, would you trust God in that way by, by really just building a pattern, learning from and with God's people? Who can you do that with? Who can you learn from specifically? And will you do that? Will you learn from others? Or do you need to learn the hard way? Do you need to try to chart your own course, find that new path? Well, remember what Solomon said, there's really nothing new under the sun. Well, I hope that as you explore this series of messages and even get into the Bible more through it, I hope that God will really speak to you. Here's some specific next steps, the ways you can get the most out of this series. First, uh, begin to read the book of Ecclesiastes. It's not a very long book. It's found nearly the middle of the Bible. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. But just begin to read the book. Uh, there's some great Bible reading plans on a on a uh, app called Uversion. You can check that out and you can begin reading through Ecclesiastes or you can just read, you know, one or two chapters, uh, a week or you can read all of it a few times. It's not a very long book. And so, second thing is I would encourage you to invite people back to this series. Uh, there's just some things we don't want you to miss. And so this is going to be a great summer focusing series for us. And so, um, we want to invite you back and invite you to, to, Ask others to join you. Maybe you know some people who are in a season of reflection. Uh, this would be a great time uh, to invite them to church. And then third, set aside time to really reflect on where my pursuits are leading. Would you sit with that? Would you would you wrestle through? Hey, I am part of this cycle of humanity that comes on the stage, coming and going. Um, but what's the pursuit you're on? Have you? When was the last time you, you considered and asked yourself that question? What are you pursuing and where will that lead your life? So thanks for joining us and I'd like to pray for you. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Thank you for uh, our opportunity to listen uh, uh, to and learn from these lessons of a king who, who tried to do life um, um, at points really on his own without you. And we can learn a great deal from seeing what it's like when a person tries to take control of their lives and just go off-roading. Um, we can learn from the pain that they walk through. We don't have to face that same pain. Uh, we, can, we can learn from the regret 
we don't have to face that same regret. Lord, I just pray for each person that this would be for all of us a season of reflecting. As we as we uh, sort of transition near to the summer, I pray that we would, and maybe as some of the, the busyness that we've had in the spring, maybe that's slowing down, maybe there's a break from some of our uh, routines and rhythms. Lord, I pray that we would buy up this opportunity to um, to bring our lives before you, to listen to you, to learn from you and your word, and to let you speak to us, Father, so that we would be uh, people who would choose to do life your way and to apply and apply your wisdom and follow you as our Lord. So we ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.